It's been said that every quilt tells a story, and it's so true. But I also believe every quilter has a story to tell. I wanted to hear about the people behind these wonderful quilts and thought you'd enjoy hearing about their lives also. Welcome to A Quilter's Life. We've all run into at least one person that thinks we should do something with our quilting that isn't what we want to do. Corintha Russell explains this very well and has a great way to let them know that's not what she does. She also has one of the best stories of a wonderful reaction to giving a quilt away. It's terrific when others show the well-deserved appreciation of receiving a quilt. I want to thank Sue Stafford of Serendipity Quilt Shop for putting me in contact with Corintha. Corintha, thank you so much for being interviewed on A Quilter's Life. I'm looking forward to this. Well, Paula, so am I. Great. Tell me where you were born and raised. Well, I was born in Cardington, Ohio, and I actually graduated high school there. So for a while, my world was very, very small. And do you have a special childhood memory growing up there? My childhood memory probably was with horses. I always, always, always wanted a horse. And of course, my father and mother both said no. And then my dad finally said, well, you can have one, but you're going to have to buy it yourself and pay for it. And I said, okay. So I did. And so what I did is he helped me a lot doing this. As a young girl, before I did this, I rode my neighbor's pony and I rode bareback. But then after daddy said, all I had to do was earn some money and then I could have one. So then I started mowing yards and he loaned me his lawnmower. It was a little business and he made me pay for gas. <laughs> I'm so glad it wasn't $5 a gallon. Then. But anyway, it was more like five cents. But anyway... I think it took me a couple years, but then, believe it or not, I finally bought an acre of land from my neighbor. And then my father, my daddy, worked for Ohio Edison Company, and he had a bunch of linemen, and he persuaded them to help me and come raise a pole barn and string up the fence. But, of course, the poles for the barn were donated by Ohio Edison and the guys, but I had to pay for the homosote the wood rafters, the tin roof, the fence, and the poles, and all the barren food for the linemen and my dad for both days. <laughs> <laughs> so when the barn finally got up, then Daddy and I went shopping for the perfect horse. And since I by then spent all the money I'd saved, I rode bareback for a while. But then that Christmas morning, I found that Santa, of course, this was my daddy, you know, he had left me a new saddle with a matching bridle and breastplate, and I cried for hours. Oh, wow. How exciting. I know. It was a memory that stays with me for a long, long time. I'm picturing since you were able to buy some land from your neighbor, did you live in the country? Cardington's a very, very small farm town. If Cardington would have been big enough to have suburbs, 
we were in the suburbs. <laughs> you know, we weren't on a farm, but my dad and mother had five acres, but there wasn't enough room on their five acres <laughs> for a horse because my mother didn't want to mess up her landscape. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I went to my third grade teacher who happened to live next door and she had about an acre of land behind her house and it attached right to ours. And I asked her if she could sell that to me. And she said, yes. And my dad said he'd been after that for years. And he said, I guess I should have sent you instead of me. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So you graduated from high school there. Did you go on to college or right into the workforce? Well, Cardington and Morrow County in the early 60s, they had an oil boom. So, of course, they were drilling for oil all over Ohio. My dream was to be a veterinarian and work with large animals. And I've been accepted by the University of Wyoming because they had a veterinary science school for large animals. Well, guess what? We did hit oil. <laughs> and so daddy pulled me aside and he said, well, what you're going to have to do is work for a while and save your money. Because he said, I'm sorry, but we just can't afford to send you to college. And so I said, okay. So I went to work in the following town in Mount Gilead, and I worked for HPM, Hydraulic Press Manufacturing, for five years. I worked in the accounting department, and I started studying at OSU Marion at night. So <laughs> probably it took me like 18 years to graduate from college, or not, actually not that long, maybe nine, but it took me for a long time to graduate, but I finally made it. And what was your major again? Accounting. I started in accounting, but then, you know, as life, I moved around. Let's see, I was in accounting at HPM. I went to an accounting job in Mansfield. Then I moved to Marion. And then I moved to Columbus in accounting. I was very fortunate that everybody except Mansfield, Marion people paid for college for me. But then when I got to Columbus... Then both the companies I worked for while I was, well, all the companies I worked for at Columbus paid for accounting. And while I was at one acceleration life insurance company, which I was there for about four or five years, they helped me get my accounting degree. But then they were in the process of automating all their books and their information systems manager and I didn't get along very well. So I then went back to college again to get a degree in information technology. And I did. Then I left Acceleration, went to another company, Columbus and Southern Electric. And that time I took a job in information technology. And they continued to pay for my education, as did Warner Communication, which was basically I graduated with information technology from Columbus and Southern. But then I went to New York and got a job with Warner Communications in information technology. Once I got the job into information technology, I sort of found my thing. So I was very, very happy. Wow. How wonderful that you stuck with it and you were able to get to where you wanted to be. Well, information technology then became the focus of my career because then I went to Warner Communications in New York, and after that, I came back to Sterling Software, a software house in Columbus. And when I was working for Sterling Software, 
we had this client called the United States government, the Department of Defense. And so I was at Sterling for four years. And then one morning when I was in Europe with Sterling Software teaching a class over there, a general who worked for the Department of Defense asked if I'd join him for breakfast the next morning. And I said, well, sure. And he invited me to join the government and go work in Europe. And I did. Oh, wow. What part of Europe? Every part. I was stationed in Germany because that's where our headquarters were overseas. I started really traveling when I was at Warner. I saw the United States. And when I got to Sterling and then Department of Defense, of course, then I saw the world. On your question, you said, why did you choose a career? I was at the Department of Defense for 23 years. And that says a lot because prior to that, my longest job experience was at my very first one where I was five years at HPM in Mount Gilead. But the government kept my attention. Whenever a new technology came out or changed, they sent me to school to learn it. I mean, I was never bored. They kept me busy. They kept me excited. They kept me traveling. And they kept me up to date. So that always made me in demand for some of the projects that came down the road. Yeah. It puts me in mind of when my oldest son was going into the army, I was thinking, oh, this is one job you won't be able to switch out of once you sign up for the army. You're in the army. But being in the military, he was able to move from job to job within the army. So, yeah, they do keep you up to date. When they find someone that is willing to learn and grow, they'll do everything they can to help you get ahead because they are smart enough to know that (laughs) by you getting ahead, they get ahead. (laughs) Now, I am just curious. This is kind of on a personal level. Okay. Since you were in Germany, did you buy a cuckoo clock? No, I didn't. (laughs) You know, what is so funny is when I moved there, I did. I had a grandfather's clock that I bought in Columbus, Ohio. And I took it with me. (laughs) (laughs) And I just never had a thing for cuckoo clocks. Yeah, I just had to ask because they're known for their cuckoo clocks. They are. That's what most of the people do. They come home with the great big trunks or closets or chest of drawers, as we would call them, and cuckoo clocks. And I didn't do that. Or yardras didn't do that either. Or uh, the little figurines. Oh, yeah. The Hummels. Yes, the Hummels didn't bring those, didn't like those either. (laughs) (laughs) I came home with striped teddy bears. I have closets of them. (laughs) Well, what brought you back to Ohio? I retired. I retired after I was with the DOD for 23 years. And everyone says that there'll come a point in time in your career when You'll know, you'll just know that it's time to retire. And I waited and waited and waited. And I thought, well, maybe it's not coming. You know, maybe I'm just going to die here. Who knows? And then one day I was sitting in my office and all of a sudden I just stood up and I said, I just cannot take this shit anymore and walked down to my boss's office and said, I would like to retire now. Let's make a deal. (laughs) And we did. Wow. Yeah, I thought it took more overtime rather than just that minute you realized it. 
Now I've been thinking about it, but well, <laughs> I'm probably getting ahead of the story, but as you probably know, as you move up the ladder along with that comes stress. Yeah. I'm going to probably jump a little bit ahead, but I learned to quilt when I was a child with my grandmother. I was maybe, oh, I don't know, nine or 10. On the way home from school, I'd stop at her house and we'd quilt for a couple hours and then I'd go on home. I did that till I discovered boys and then, you know, I kicked granny to the curb. And I went on about my life and then quite honestly, <laughs> I didn't even think about it. Till I was in Virginia with the Department of Defense and one day I sat straight up in bed and it was like I had to quilt, you know, I mean, I just had to quilt. So I called my brother, who was still living in Ohio, and I said, Charlie, I would like Grandma Mom's quilting frames to use to have them. And he said, what do you want them for? And I said, I'm going to quilt. And I don't know if you have a brother or not, but, you know, sometimes they're... Anyway, he started laughing, and I got mad and hung up on him. <laughs> so I called him back when I got control myself a little bit better. And I said, okay, I don't care. Get them ready. I'm going to leave a Friday night after work and I'll be there early Saturday morning to pick them up. He said, I'll believe it when I see the whites of your eyes. And I said, okay. So I got off work that day and jumped in the Jeep and drove to Ohio. <laughs> and when I knocked on his door like two o'clock in the morning, he said, I won't tell you what he said, but he said, you really came. And I said, you got the frames. And he said, can we do this in the morning? And I said, okay. So he got them cleaned up and I brought them home. What's interesting is my grandmother taught me to quilt. She didn't teach me to piece. Oh. Okay. So I had forgotten a few details <laughs> like that. And so anyway, I took the quilts, got them home, got them set up, and then... Are you ready for this one? I watched YouTube and figured out how to quilt, <laughs> how to piece rather. <laughs> and that year for Christmas, my very first quilt off Grandma Mom's frames, I gave to my brother for Christmas. I made him meet those words. <laughs> <laughs> and then because I was still working, what I would do after horrible days at work, <laughs> you know, where the stress level got high. I would just come home and just go in my quilting room. I took one bedroom and just made it into a quilting studio. And I would just go in there and for an hour or two, I would just listen to music and quilt. And that would calm me down and bring me back to earth. And then I'd go out and be a person again. <laughs> <laughs> so quilting, I think, was my sanity while I was working. And also it led me to new friends. Six months after I started quilting again, I started quilting ministry at the church I was going to. Then I met quilting people who even helped me piecing. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a long drawn out process, but I got it done. Aren't quilting friends great? Yes. I'm going to jump back for just a minute. You might have covered this already, but did you do any other crafts besides quilting? Over the years, I tried knitting, didn't like that. I did count a cross-stitch for a while, and I liked that. I liked needlepoint. I did some latch hook. And later in life, 
actually in Virginia with my quilting friends. I did some silk ribbon embroidery. But quilting's really and truly the only thing that really still to this day, I mean, it's been probably going on 20 years now that I've been quilting full time. I cannot imagine a day without quilting. Just can't imagine it. Wow. Do you like to quilt in the morning or the afternoon or evening or <laughs> all the time? It doesn't matter. Sometimes when I have an idea or something, I'm very fortunate now that I have on the lower level of my condo, I've turned it into an office and a studio. So if I have a brilliant idea that I want to see if it'll work, I'll come down, turn on my computer. I do a lot of EQ work. Mm -hmm. I can sit down here then and design all night till I get it fixed. And then I'll go back upstairs and go back to bed. <laughs> so yeah, it doesn't matter when, it doesn't matter at all. And I always try to have a quilt on the frame. So if I can't sleep or just want to do something mindless, I come down and quilt a quilt. Oh, well. How about any other hobbies? Let's see. Jigsaw puzzles. I don't know. Horses. I don't have that hobby anymore. It's funny. One of my friends said she doesn't ride anymore because she's afraid she'll break the horse. I said, I don't ride anymore because I'm afraid I'll break me. <laughs> Well, reading, I love to read and I do audio books. So I basically, I read while I'm quilting. I always have a book on or TV on or music on or something going on. So with audio books, I can read two or three books a month very quickly <laughs> and keep quilting. <laughs> Isn't it great that technology lets us do these things now? Oh, I think it's wonderful. There have been... Many, many times that when I look around my quilting studio where my long arm is and where my Bernina is that I piece on, and then I look at all my toys around there and I thought my grandmother would probably have a heart attack if she walked in there and think, oh my word, because she had a wood handmade frame, which I still have, and she pieced by hand. She didn't use a sewing machine. So I just think she would just be totally amazed. Yeah, I bet she would. I was also curious, back to your horses when you were young, were you in anything like 4-H or FFA with that? Yes, I was in 4-H for a while with that. And then as an adult, I went back. The guy I was dating at the time, he and I were 4-H advisors for a couple of years. And it was more fun being advisor than it was being <laughs> being in there as a member because we got the kids in trouble and everything. One night we took the kids and said, come on. We all went riding bareback across the fairgrounds and snuck out the back gate and went over to a farmer's field and got a couple of watermelons and then came back to the barn and ate them. <laughs> 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 the parents sort of lectured us, but we just smiled and the kids Giggled and they said, we promise we won't tell them again. Can we go again? <laughs> it's like, no, we better be good. <laughs> Corintha, I think you probably have a lot more stories than you have written down. <laughs> <laughs> I do. <laughs> I wanted to hear how you met Sue Stafford. I'm going to jump ahead and I'm going to tell you how I won the long arm. That's how I met Sue. Okay. 
APQS, American Professional Quilting System, give away two of their quilting machines every year. In January of 2014, I found out about it. I think it was in December, and I was looking around. I had by then retired, moved here to Marion. My downstairs has two large areas, so I turned one into an office and one into a studio. And in the floor plan that I laid out for the studio, I had a long arm in there. And my nephew, who was helping me remodel downstairs, was laughing. He said, when are you going to get the long arm? And I said, well, I only have a third of what it's going to cost saved. So I said, I'm not sure, but I'm going to get one. (laughs) And he said, okay. So then I saw on APQS's website, because I looked at them, I looked at Gamble's, and I looked at all long arm and being an accountant slash information technology, I had a great big spreadsheet of everybody and did an analysis of which was the better, best for your money. So I started entering the contest for APQS to win that long arm. I entered every day without fail. I get up before I drink my coffee. I'd enter that contest did it every day, every day, every day. So in the meantime, The quilting room, the studio was coming along, was getting done, was getting closer and closer, getting done. And they said they were going to draw for the long arm, like in the beginning of July. I don't remember exactly the dates. So that day that they were drawing for the long arm, (laughs) I carried my phone everywhere because I knew they were going to call me. I just knew they were. I knew I'd won. I'd entered every day. So I thought, okay. Finally, nothing happened. You know, nothing happened. They didn't call. I kept checking their website. They didn't announce it. And I thought, oh. So I thought, well, okay. So I went to bed that night and I was saying my prayers. I said, okay, God, I'm giving this one back to you because I think I've done what I can do. So, you know, I obviously didn't win. They didn't call me. So, okay, we'll just go about it and see what happens. The next morning I got up and I decided I needed a new pair of walking shoes. So I went down to the local shoe mart and went in and was in the process of buying new walking shoes when my phone rang. I picked it up and (laughs) this voice said, is this Corintha Russell? And I said, yes, it is. And I said, Oh, okay. And she said, and she started talking. She said, this is Dawn Cavanaugh. I'm the training director at American Professional Quilting Systems. And so, and I said, yes. (laughs) And I said, you haven't announced the winner yet. And she started laughing. No, she said, my plane was late yesterday and I didn't get in. And she said, have you ever heard of Honor Flight? And I said, well, yeah, I have. So I started telling her about my quilt guild here that I joined in Marion was going to start a project where we provided quilts for the veterans when they came home from their flight. And she said, well, that's wonderful. And so we chatted about that for a while. And she said she'd been on my Facebook page and saw pictures of my quilts. And I said, did I win? And she said, well, and then she changed the subject and she went on and on. And I said, Don, did I win? And she said, well, matter of fact, you did. (laughs) And so I'm in the shoe store, right? And it's filled with people. So I'm screaming. (laughs) 
and I'm yelling and screaming. And the poor young lady that was waiting on me came over and she said, is it bad news or good news? And I said, it's fantastic news. And she said, okay, then I'll go away and leave you alone. Let me know when you're done. (laughs) So I asked her after we went through everything, I said, can I call you back? Can I get home? And she said, yes. And we'll go over the details then. So anyway, I thought it was interesting because then when I got my long arm, I started making quilts for the project. The group of ladies that we got together that were sponsoring it, we called it High Honor Quilts. And Sue owns the local quilt shop. Well, it's the next village over. So, you know, it's close. Like I can be there in like 15 minutes. So it's not that far away. So that's where I met Sue because the very first words out of her mouth was, how can I help? And she sort of became one of the sponsors. She did everything. She sold the material for the honor quilt, sold the batting for it, but she sold it for a reduced price. And if they brought their honor quilt back, she would give them the batting for free. And if they bought the material from her, she would give them, I think, a 10, I don't remember, maybe even a 20%. It was a nice discount. We had a little chart. We made a gold chart with the number of quilts we needed, and we colored it in as we went along. And she was just a joy. She was a supporter, a fan. I mean, and just really put the shop at our disposal. If there was anything we needed, if she could help us in any way, she did. She has a quilt guild that runs out of her shop, which I joined (laughs) and still belong to. So I made some more new friends, which was just really, really wonderful. So that's how I first met Sue was I was there asking for her support. Nice. Yeah. And from her quilt guild, because at the time we were going around, I'd printed out a list of all the APQS quilt guilds in Ohio. And we were going around to everyone asking for quilts and help and support and all this other kind of stuff. And she was on that list. (laughs) Wow. About when was that? Because I'm picturing before the pandemic. Oh, oh, yes, yes. This was, let's see, I won Freddie in 2014. Let's say the 1st of July and She was here by the end of the July. So as soon as she walked in the door, she was put to work. (laughs) (laughs) And then I was younger and more enthusiastic. And even though it took a while to figure out what I was doing, uh, and that's another story. But anyway, there was always a quilt on her. And I was doing maybe five, six quilts a week. Wow. Yeah. In the first flight of the 90 quilts that we had ready, she did 55 of them. Amazing. Yeah. As I call it, I just think she was a God thing. And I think I was supposed to have her to do this. Sue and some other quilt guilds, we did honor quilts in 2014, 2015. And then we stopped doing them in 2016. And we stopped doing them in 2016 because of lack of support. But. In the meantime, I had made friends with this other group called Snuggled in Hope Quilts, which I have been with now since 2015, and I'm now on the board of directors. We do 600 quilts a year, and we make quilts for the beds of the seriously 
ill children that attend camp at Flying Horse Farms in Mount Gilead. It's a serious fun network. Paul Newman is an Ohio guy. He started it. He bought the land, and then it became a serious fun. Like the whole Nawal gang all got together, and they had this serious fun network for children. And Flying Horse Farms was one of the first ones that came up. And my brother, believe it or not, Flying Horse Farms, when it was first built, my brother was retired and was working with a bulldozer, cleaning out the things, getting Scott fertilizer. And when I came home one time, 2013, before I retired, he was so excited. He said, I have to tell you all about Flying Horse Farms. He told me about it. And he said, and when you come home, there's this quilt group in Mount Gilead, and it's called Snuggled in Hope Quilts. And he said, every kid that goes to that camp gets a quilt and a pillowcase to take home. And he said, they need you. You've got to go up there and help them when you get home. So I did. (laughs) (laughs) So now there's always a quilt on my machine for snuggled. (laughs) So Freddie's still cranking them out. (laughs) What a great organization to help out. Oh, it is. And there we're getting a new website. And so it's not up yet. Our old one's up. So we do have a website, but give us another month or so and we'll have the new one out there. But you really should go see it. It's a great organization. I can't say enough nice things about Flying Horse Farms. What they do for kids is unbelievable. And it's free to the families. All they need to have to get to go to camp is to have a doctor's written acceptance saying, yes, this child can go to camp. We put quilts and pillowcases on bunks every Monday morning before they get there. And last week was, I think it was heart camp. And they do that because Flying Horse Farms has a hospital on site. And they also have a helipad there. If a child gets sick, we can have it to Children's Hospital in a half an hour. The hospital, I mean, it's all about the kids. and. Part of the reason my brother was so excited was my nephew, his son, when he was born, had open heart surgery at two. So Lonnie is what we call now at Flying Horse Farms, a zipper kid. And that's where the kids can just go be kids. You know, they can, they don't have to worry about somebody saying, oh, what's that big scar on your chest? You know, or the other kids laughing at them because they have great big scars down the center of their chest. That's why we call them the zipper kids. And they can just go be kids. They can relax. They have a a zip line. They have a zip line for wheelchairs. Can you believe that? So if the kids want to go on a zip line, and I can, I'm handicapped. I'm in a wheelchair. It doesn't matter at Flying Horse Farms. You can go on the zip line. They have boating, archery, everything. And Abercrombie and Finch also built the hospital there at Flying Horse Farms for the children. But they send interns, like each cabin has 10 children, but there are two interns that stay with them all night. They're never alone because they can't be alone because you never know when something may happen. So they send two interns. So let's see, there are 12 cabins. So they send 24 of their employees every year to Flying Horse Farms for the summer to be counselors in the cabins. Wow. I know. It's just an amazing, wonderful place. You should go 
to their website and look at some of their pictures. The things they do for kids, I mean, it is truly, it's all about the kids. Now, I take it they're associated with Nationwide in Columbus? With the hospitals, yes. But again, Flying Horse Farms, their nonprofit like Snuggled and Hope is. So they live off of the donation of others. Mm-hmm. But they're big enough <laughs> that they can, you know, people want their name on the board of directors on them. We're not big enough for Snuggled at anybody. <laughs> you know, we couldn't pay anybody, you know. <laughs> the largest donation we've had has been $1,000 and we think we're rich, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but people don't understand that 600 quilts, it's a lot of quilts. Also, the parents get to come if you want your child to come, but you're afraid about leaving them alone. In the spring and in the fall, we have what we call a family camp. So they can bring their ill child, and if they have any siblings, bring them along. And the family can be in a cabin, and they can see what camp is like. They can see the hospital. They can see how their child will be treated. So when the kid goes to camp, then the parents aren't a nervous wreck worried about their kids night and day like they normally are because they know they're safe. Yeah. And we just don't realize how much pressure is on those parents to no, we, we not really have that break. Giving them a break is such a huge contribution too. It is, even if it's only three or four days, because I know... When my brother had Lonnie, when he had the open heart surgery for the first couple of years of Lonnie's life, he was in children's hospital like every other month. And so, you know, there were times when they just lived down there and my father was sort of <laughs> looking after them because they needed, you know, <laughs> he was sort of their father and mother because the twins were, uh, twins were maybe 10 Lonnie's older sisters. When he was born and he was down in the hospital, and so Grandpa Russell would just go take care of the girls for him and look after him, make sure they got what they needed done to get taken care of. So it is. It's a huge burden on families. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just proud to be a part. Even if quilting is the way I can do it, I'm just glad I'm a part. Yeah, that's exciting. It is, and it's very rewarding. Anyway, it is to me. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to jump back to the serendipity quilt shop. Uh-huh. When you walk in there, describe the shop and tell me what you like about it. Well, like I said, I've been going now to Sue's since 2014, and I've belonged to her quilt field since 2015. And... I have met and made some of the most wonderful friends ever. It's a warm, friendly space in comparison. I mean, you know, when I was in Virginia and Richmond, you know that there are lots of huge quilt shops. And hers is small, but she has a wonderful selection of fabrics always available. And there's always someone there. For an example, every Wednesday, we have something going on. Like it's either a charity day, you can quilt for snuggled, you can quilt for veteran quilts. 
We have a featherweight day. Bring your featherweight if you have one. You know, everybody brings their featherweight and they just come in and sew. So that's Wednesday is like open sew day. So there are about 10 of us that are there all the time. And we meet at the local restaurant, GNR, for breakfast before we go sew at Sue's. And Sue's with us. And we just laugh and have fun and giggle and be girls. What a fun group to be part of. It truly is. And it's sort of like when Sue's taking care of customers and occasionally she'll go off and have to leave the store for some reason. So she'll just leave one of us in charge. We've got somebody who knows how to cut fabric and we write it all down. I know how to run the cash register. And some people just want help. So we'll all jump up and run the shop for her. So (laughs) when she leaves, she knows that if we can't figure it out, we'll take enough information that she can give them a call later if they don't want to stay. (laughs) I think it's just worked out fun. It's just a fun place to be. And it's uh, like even like this month or the month of July is Sue's birthday. And one of the 10 or 12 of us that it's their birthday. So we'll go out to dinner someplace this month just for them. Nice. And it's just because we can. I mean, you know, and because we like each other's company. Mm -hmm. Whether it's one of your own or somebody else's, do you have a favorite quilt? I do. I have more than one. (laughs) Uh, First one of my favorite is an ocean wave quilt. And I actually made two. One was a queen and one was a California king. And I made those for other people. One of the ladies I work with gave me a picture and said, can you do this? And she gave me a cool picture. And I thought, no, but I'm going to figure it out. And I did. Thanks to EQ, I figured it out. So I did that one. And then a year later, she said, okay, that was for her mother. But now she wanted to do one for her husband's mother. And I said, okay, so here we did it again. And that one I loved. First one I did was just a red and white. But the second one I did was I used Edita Sitar's over the rainbow fabrics, all the batiks from her over. I used every stinking batik that she had (laughs) because I wanted to do over the rainbow, right? (laughs) So I did that and it was so beautiful and I loved it so much that I bought the same set of materials and was going to make me one. And the good news is, I finally got it started. It'll be nine years next month I've been retired, and I'm finally starting on my ocean wave. But I know what I'm doing now, so that's one of my favorites. And last year, I did my very, very first pineapple quilt. And I made it a fall quilt, and I absolutely fell in love with it. And I did it the old-fashioned way. I didn't use the ruler. I did, you know, the cut and trim, cut and trim. But I'm so glad I did because I think it just turned out spectacular. So those are my top two. And then they just go on and on from there. Now, was the pineapple quilt difficult to line up? It is so funny. I mean, it's like the ocean wave quilt. Since I never had a pattern, I don't know what they were supposed to. But the way I ended up, my blocks were like 24 inches. They were huge blocks. And that's a lot of half square triangles. I think when I got done, I had like over 2,500 half square triangles in that quilt. But anyway, with the pineapple quilt, I have no idea. But somehow it just lined up perfectly. I had no trouble at all getting it together or anything. 
you know, how sometimes when you put a quilt together, it just won't go. And you think, what did I do wrong? I went through every block first to see if I needed to trim. And when I'm off like hairs, I don't care. I'm not going to trim it up if I'm just doing slivers. But no, it just lined right up like it was supposed to. And I thought, well, this quilt really wanted to be born. So (laughs) here we go. (laughs) And I did like my pineapple quilt so much that I had surgery on both hands last year. And uh, my surgeon and I became very good friends. And when the last hand was done, I made him a pineapple lap quilt in purples. (laughs) And he was just thrilled. When I told him, I said, I don't know how to say thank you for giving me my hands back, but I said, I'm a quilter. And he said, I remember. And I said, I would like to make you a quilt. And he said, really? And I said, yes. And he said, wait a minute, wait a minute. He went running down the halls of his office, yelling, where's my phone? Where's my phone? He got his phone and came back and he said, here's a picture of my sofa. I want it on this sofa. This is where when I get home and I'm watching TV, it just put it right there on that sofa. And it was a purple sofa. So I made him a purple pineapple quilt. (laughs) And when I brought it in, as he said, when he kicked me to the curb and said my hands were both well, I could live without him now. And so I went back in. I said, well, there's one more thing. You know how the doctor puts you in an office in a little room and they come in and I had the quilt under my chair. So I said, wait, there's one more thing. I pulled out this bag and he said, it's my quilt, isn't it? And I said, yeah. And he got it out of there and he said, did I ever tell you I'm a hugger? And I said, no. And he said, get ready, honey, because it's coming in. (laughs) And then he took the quilt and was running up and down. Look, look, look. So he's the happiest customer I've ever had. <laughs> How fun. So I love pineapple quilts, and that's another one went together the same way, just like it wanted to be made. Neat. Is there a special tool that you are so happy you have? Ready, my long arm. <laughs> I cannot imagine, isn't that funny? I cannot imagine life without Freddie. It was so funny because before, when I was in Virginia, I took a lot of quilting piecing lessons. And there was Laura Blanchard from Plumtree Quilts. <laughs> she taught through some of the local quilt shops there, and we became very good friends. I took her free motion quilting class three times. <laughs> she pulled me aside after the class and she said, Corintha, I don't know how to tell you this, but she said, I just want you to know I'm so thrilled that you have such a great job and you can afford to quilt by check. And she said, please don't come back to this class. You just don't have it. (laughs) (laughs) So for those ladies who have the skill and the long arm, that's wonderful. And that's why mine is computerized. I'm good at computers. So that's good. (laughs) It worked out well. (laughs) So that's my very, very favorite tool. Now, I don't have experience with it, but I have heard even with computerized quilting, you have to calculate with the size of the actual blocks, and there's still a lot of calculations that go into it. There can be, but most of the time I just do edge to edge. Okay. And then, you know, you just tell it the width and the height, and you have to stand there with it. I have to tell you... (laughs) This came from a person who wanted me to do the quilt, but didn't want to pay for it. My favorite thing 
about the long arm is it's computerized. All you have to do is push buttons. And I say, yep, you're correct. I said, yep, that quilt just jumps right up on that frame. And then it pins the backing down and then the batting jumps up on top of it. And then the top does. It's just a miracle. You have to come over and watch it sometime. <laughs> when everything loads itself, then I just push buttons. It was sort of like, ah! <laughs> so, yeah. No wonder you took so much time with your spreadsheet to find the right one for you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then just a side note. You know, I told you I had a third of it saved. Mm -hmm. I won the other two thirds and the what I had saved was what bought the computer that went on top of it. Oh. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> See, told you it was a God thing. <laughs> it's amazing. And when you're doing the process, do you like each step or do you like one part of the process more than others? I think really and truly, I think it's the designing. And then believe it or not, because once I get it designed and then everybody quilts, does things differently. But what I do, once I have the design, then I cut out everything all at the same time. So then when I'm ready, I can just sit down and so, 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 so. So it's basically that part that I love the most is the designing and the prep, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah. It just makes everything go so much easier and so much faster. Then the part I hate is when I measure blocks and they're not the same size and I have to trim. <laughs> but that doesn't happen a lot. So I'm very fortunate that way. Yeah. For me, when I get the design settled, then I pick the fabric because I absolutely adore color. And I just got to have lots of colors. And so when I decide on the colors and then it's getting the fabric and, oh, I love that. I know I have quilts in my shelving in the quilt studio that I know the pattern and I've got the material. It's not cut, but as soon as it is its turn, <laughs> I'll cut all, all the pieces and away we'll go. And then I'll zip right through it. Now I've got like, what, four projects in progress? <laughs> oh, wow. Now my fun question. Okay. Tell me about your worst quilting experience. I think my worst quilting experience has been the hazard of winning a long arm. Because everyone thinks you should quilt their quilt for them for free. Interesting. Yep. And then there are people, it's like, oh, I want this custom quilted. I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. And I said, well, I'm sorry, I just do edge to edge. And if you want custom, you're going to have to go somewhere else. Here, let me give you the names of a few people who are more than well qualified for it. I'm sorry, I just do edge to edge. And it's like, no, I want it custom and I want you to do it. And I said, I don't do custom. <laughs> and it's sort of like, I think you're talking the wrong person. It's just not going to be me. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I really and truly don't think at my age that I need a lecture from someone who wants something from me on why I should do custom quilting when I know I can't remember what I told you. I took a free motion quilting class three times and failed. <laughs> <laughs> 
why would I want to do custom quilting and ruin somebody's quilt? (laughs) (laughs) So I think that's probably the thing that upsets me the most, or it's sort of like, you know, well, you want it. Why do you want all this money? Or this one was even before I had the long arm. And I was at work, I was on another floor in the building and this lady came up to me and she said, are you Corintha Russell? And I said, well, yes, I am. And she said, well, did you make that baby quilt for so-and-so? And I said, well, yes, I did. And she said, well, I'm going to have a new grandbaby. I'm going to be a new grandmother. How much is it going to cost me? And I said, well, so-and-so paid such for her baby quilt. Well, she said, uh uh-huh. I've never heard of that. I could go to Walmart and buy one for $25. And I said, well, then, honey, go right on ahead and turned around and walked away. (laughs) (laughs) And I saw her again on the floor. She's running after me. And I just turned around. I said, look, sweetheart, I'm not in competition with Walmart. You don't want one of my quilts. And I said, just leave me alone. And kept right on going. (laughs) Oh, well. (laughs) So, Yeah. I guess what irritates me the most is people. (laughs) (laughs) It is amazing. I just interviewed someone that they got a long arm and wanted to practice on their friends and their friends insisted on paying her, but you had the opposite. (laughs) So you just never know. But also, I guess people think, oh, you want it and didn't pay for it, but you did. Anyways. I'm curious why you are drawn to quilting. Do you think you know why you want to spend your time quilting rather than doing other things? I have absolutely no idea. Like I said, I learned from my grandmother as a child. And then in 2007, 2008, I don't don't know exactly when. One night I sat straight up in bed and I had to quilt. And that's when I called my brother. I mean, I was happily sleeping away and all of a sudden all I could think about was quilting and I woke up and called my brother and said you still have the quilt frames and then six months later after I got the quilt frames I had a quilting ministry going at the church and I had a lot of people at the church who I went to a very large church and a lot of people signed up to help and we made quilts for VCU's cancer center And we made quilts for the Cancer Center on station on Fort Lee in Petersburg, Virginia. And I did that till I retired and left. (laughs) So, you know, I just think that's what I'm supposed to do. I can't imagine life without quilting. That's why when I had arthritis in my thumb so bad that I couldn't hold needles, I had no strength in my hands anymore. I couldn't even hold like cup of coffee in my hand without dropping it. I don't know if you know, but your thumb has like a CMC joint where it moves all the actions and it had been destroyed. The arthritis had eaten away all the bones down there. So my surgeon did some fancy needlework and gave me new CMC joints. And now my thumbs work again. The way I figure it, so I lost last year basically quilting. I mean, I didn't do very much for snuggled or really even for me. But now when I when I do something silly, like open a bottle of water, I'm thrilled. <laughs> and I just finished a couple of weeks ago, Bonnie Hunter's Hearts of Hope quilt, the blue and yellow one that she did. Mm-hmm. And I hand sewed that binding on 
What a blessing. It is to have my hands work again. Yep. To me, that year I lost while my hands were getting well. And then I had to do therapy and get strength back in them. But it was well worth it. And if I had it to do again, I would. Mm-hmm. I think we probably covered who you make them for. Is there anybody else that you make them for? <laughs> no, right now. <laughs> the part of my office that used to be all pure office now has tables set up. <laughs> but let's see, two four by eight foot tables set up with risers. And I have a pile of snuggled quilts with batting laying out that I need to get them ready to quilt. So <laughs> I guess quilting is just sort of taken over the entire lower level of my condo. <laughs> <laughs> and Snuggled in Hope has 10 rolls of, let's say, 120 by 30 yards of batting out in my garage waiting. Because when local people close to me come, instead of going to the Snuggle Haven, where we store a lot of our stuff, they drop by my house and pick up batting here. <laughs> so I'm the drop center. <laughs> <laughs> and you mentioned you're working on four quilts right now? Yep, my ocean wave. And a friend of mine is one of Sue's quilters from the group at Sue's. Donna is in the process of putting together a quilt retreat center. So all of us had like a weekend retreat with Sue. We didn't stay all night. We went away, but we had breakfast, lunch, and dinner there for one weekend. And we all worked, and she gave us scraps and stuff to make quilts for the retreat center. So Donna could have quilts on all of her beds when she opened up. And I was at the thing, but I was helping other people. And so I'm still finishing up Donna's quilt. So that's number two. <laughs> and I decided I would make a crazy quilt for Donna with all the colors of the rainbow in it. And boy, has that turned out to be, I'm about halfway done. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, things keep coming along and I work on it like last weekend. I think I did nine blocks. But I got all the oranges done. And so now I've got blue, olive, yellow, and red to finish. And I'll be done. And there are four or five of each one. <laughs> oh, wow. And how big will that end up being? Well, she wanted a long hang on them. So they're pretty big quilts. They're like maybe 74, 75 wide by 89, something that long, because she wants to make sure they can be tucked. Yeah. And hang down. So they're pretty big. So had I thought this through a little bit more, <laughs> I probably would have chosen an easier thing because I forgot that each one takes so much time because heaven forbid, but it's doing great working on my scrap pile because they're beautiful blocks. I can't wait to put them all together. <laughs> and thanks to you, I know what it's going to look like when they are put together. So <laughs> it sounds interesting. I can't quite picture it, but. I'll send you a picture when it's done. Okay, great. Corintha, share a quilting tip. When I saw that, I thought, and 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 I thought, well, for me, this is what works. And, you know, it's sort of like what we said, we were talking about how the blocks don't go together and how sometimes they just all fly together. Mm -hmm. And so I guess my tip would just be, if it doesn't work today, just walk away. There's always tomorrow. Because sometimes you just get yourself in such a tizzy that you can't see it. 
So the tip would be, if it's not working for you today, tomorrow may be the day and it'll all come together then. Yep. Had that happen. So yes. Yep. Great tip. Thanks. Is there anything else you wanted to share with me? Well, let's see. I do have two helpers that help me a lot. And they're my kitties. One of them, I have an older cat that came with me from Virginia, and that's Miss Nutmeg. And she's 14. And then I have a new kitten that's been with me only uh, about going on 10 months now, and that's Miss Lolly. And they're both rescues. But, of course, after Nutmeg being with me for, what, 12 years, she's not much of a rescue anymore. She's just spoiled rotten. But anyway, on my pile on the table, Lolly is lying on a bolt of batting, <laughs> sleeping. <laughs> so the good thing is, like on Snuggled, everybody knows we do wash all the quilts right before the day or two before we put them on the bunks of the bed because we don't know where they've been. If the kids are already sick. We don't want them to get sicker. So anyway, but I do have my helpers and they keep me company and they're a lot of fun. They sure are a lot of good company, aren't they? Yeah, they are. This was so wonderful. Thank you so much for visiting with me. And thank you for being so nice. Oh, thanks. (laughs) I try. (laughs) Thanks so much. This was a lot of fun. And thank you. And I'm glad it was fun too, Paula. Thanks. Uh Uh-huh. Bye-bye. find more stories on aquilterslife.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast player so each episode will be downloaded automatically. Also, I want to hear about you and your wonderful quilts. Please contact me, Paula Chamberlain, through the website to set up an interview. And as always, thanks for listening. <laughs>